Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Star Trek Discovery. Season 3, Episode 10, Terra Firma, Part 2, is over. But we're just getting started on post-show recaps. We have stepped through the doorway of Part 1 of Terra Firma, and we're about to pop out the other side of Terra Firma Part 2. And with me, as always, is my trusted number one, who never tries to foment insurrection against me by murdering everybody else on the podcast staff, Mr. Mike Bloom. I mean, Jess, I'm smart enough to know that if I attempt that, much like George O does, you are going to, like, shish kebab me with a sword in no time flat. I stand no chance to Jessica Lee's Terran version or not. I, I'm, I'm glad you recognize that, Mike. Um, I, that's why I have this sword with me at all times. I'm ready, ready to rock. Well, before we get into the rock of it all, uh, I'm going to do the Mirror Universe version of our ad read this week for Pluto TV. Consider me the mirrored credit sequence this week where everything's surrounded in blue and upside down. But I'm reading this thing right side up. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop in to Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. You don't even need to attack any emperors to get this stuff for free. They're just handing it out at this point. The spoils of war and peace. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, huh? Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free. And just I will say, for people who have indulged already in the Pluto TV for Star Trek, uh, some stuff from this episode might have been very similar if they happen to be watching a certain episode of TOS. It, it's true. I I think it's really fun that you can just open up Pluto, Pluto TV and turn it on and at any given point, something will lead you back to Discovery. Yeah, and exactly. They did recently air a rerun of City on the Edge of Forever. Oh, I wonder. I do wonder. Obviously, these are two separate platforms, but I always do wonder, you know, like, is CBS, I don't know, in communication of like, hey, we're doing this this week. So I, the only reason that's in my head is because, like, as a as a lover of The Simpsons, uh, when a new episode airs, when they air a, a marathon of episodes on that day on Sunday, they tend to, like, revolve around a topic that's talked about in that episode. So I'd like to believe that that happens in the world today, but I think that is a very rare occurrence. Yeah, I think it might just be like the two universes lining up and being in alignment at a point where it is advantageous for everybody. Yeah, uh, exactly. Much so like that, the much like the universes were lined up at the point where Giorgio went back. And that's, I mean, so that's something we've got to talk about because we, you know, we again tried to plant our flag last week here at the midpoint of the Terra Firma two parter as to 
what was going to happen. We were right about some things. We were wrong about some things. But now that, to your point, we are on the other side of everything, what's your take on it now? Because essentially, I think our our assessment last week was correct that this was the two-part send-off to Philippa Georgia on Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, well, that was that was the main thing I think we were correct about. And I think we probably also, I think, I don't want to go back to the tape, but I think we were pretty close on describing what the ultimate outcome of this was going to be, that it was going to be, she was going to come back through the other side, and then the Guardian of Forever was going to send her back through the door to a point where she can then go to her own spinoff series. And I thought it was actually almost a letdown how close we were to what happened. (laughs) They couldn't couldn't surprise us with this one. Yeah, they couldn't surprise us at all. They really, like, they drove that that point home, like, oh, I am the Guardian on the Edge of Forever, and he sounded just like the guy from original series. Mm-hmm. And then also, we had made the joke that she was going to fall through the other side of the door, like in the movie Contact. Right. And then it was going to turn out that she had recorded however many, however much time on the tape that she had been through there. And- I was joking about that. And then when that actually happened, I was like, hey, you ripped that off from Contact. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So it's not even pulling from previous Star Trek series, just previous sci-fi series. So I think that's probably the most relatable moment of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 so far is like a few minutes can feel like a few months, especially in the year 2020. Yeah. How do they manage to be so topical all the time? I mean, they said before this season that a lot of stuff was incidentally topical. So uh, and that's the other thing as well is. You know, I think this episode, we're going to get into it. I think it was just a fantastic, like, culmination of the character of Philippa Giorgio. I think Michelle Yeoh did her best work in the series, bar none, in this episode, because it gets her doing some kick-ass fighting. It has her still doing some one-liners, but she has some incredibly tender and emotional moments. I'm thinking specifically about the whole Fireflies monologue that she has to Mirror Universe Michael in the beginning of the episode, which is, like, surprisingly sweet and vulnerable. And so I, I, you know, I really appreciate how they are emphasizing this character and how far she's come. I still don't know why this is happening here, why this is happening in the middle of Star Trek Discovery season three, that they essentially stopped down for two episodes and said, "Okay, we need to do our big Giorgio farewell. So let's, you know, send her off here. Well, I would agree with you, Mike, that I don't know where it's happening why it's happening at this point, narratively speaking, but mm. I'm going to go ahead and guess that the reason it's happening at this point, productionally speaking, productionally is totally a word. Yeah, Don't look we're, it up. we're making it up now that these are our own adverbs here. Yes. Is that they had Michelle Yeoh contracted for a certain number of episodes and they couldn't figure out how to like sprinkle her in so that they didn't have to use up every single one of those episodes to this point. So then they're like, well, we got to get rid of her. We got to send her to her other show. So mm-hmm. let's just, let's just take a pause and give her a side quest. And these will be those episodes. And then at the end of that, we've burned off all the contracts. Bye bye. Yeah, that's the burn, truly, is like all the, yes. the burning off the episodes. And well, I think even going back to the productionally speaking aspect of it all. So the Section 31 series, I believe, was supposed to start filming in May of 2020. Uh, so and that obviously got pushed back. It is now in limbo because of everything. 
But I can imagine a world where, because obviously Disco Season 3 filmed before all this happened, uh, I can imagine a world where they said, okay, let's do this now, and then we can like immediately hop into filming Section 31 to put it out. And they were just unfortunately you know, stymied by the circumstances that now we have Michelle Yeoh departing to parts unknown and an unknown time frame as to when we're going to have that payoff, as opposed to... I'm going to spoil a bit of the Mandalorian here. Spoiler <laughs> alert for the season finale. I'm giving plenty of buffer time because I have been told this week that I should be doing this. If you do not want to know about big twists in the season finale of another star show, The Mandalorian, please skip ahead about one minute. Thank you very much. Uh, the end of The Mandalorian made allusions to a surprise series that seems to be airing concurrently with the show next year. I wonder if in a perfect world, they would do something similar of airing the section 31 show alongside maybe like a disco season four had the cards worked out. Yeah. I think that's definitely what they had intended at the time. And just because that's not happening right away, I don't think we need to feel like that's never going to happen. I think it's a, it's such a good idea for a show. And this character has been, I believe pretty popular. They're they're going to want to bring her back as long as something catastrophic doesn't happen in the Star Trek universe where we all end up hating everything that about it. Like mm-hmm. if it turns out that next season, at the end of this season we find out that they didn't actually go into the future and they're all in purgatory, for instance. Yes, that's just for you Josh Wiggler and also a little bit for you Mike. Um then and everybody hates Star Trek forever now, then they probably won't make the show. But I think, you know, we're trucking along. Picard was amazing. This season's been probably the best of the three. I think there's going to be enough groundswell for this that it will happen eventually. And the good thing about this show jumping around, this universe jumping around in time, is that we can come back to it whenever. We can put a pin in it. It can happen at some other point. And it's possible that we might have our ardor for Giorgio might have cooled a little bit, but I think if it happens in the next two years at some point, that's not a danger. Should we call Terra Firma the backdoor pilot to the Section <laughs> 31 series? Because I mean, it's also notable that the two parts were helmed or written by uh, Boyan Kim and Erica Lippolt, in part, who are two of the showrunners of the upcoming Section 31 series. So, so you could wonder, like, Okay, if we have to hand off the transition of this character, let's hand it to the people that are going to be, you know, taking control of this character moving forward. Yeah, I assumed that was kind of what this was because it certainly wasn't it wasn't anything to do with anything else that's happening in this universe. And the other thing that makes me want to file this under backdoor pilot is, you know, we'll just start at the end of the episode because mm-hmm. We've been watching these like little cryptic flashbacks where she's like covered in blood and she's screaming, San! Right. And at the end of this episode, she's like, oh yeah, by the way, there was this other dude named San and I, I had this very, this very interesting conflicted moment. It happened like well before anything you know about, but I'm going to have to tell you about that some other time. Bye. And she yeah. jumps through there. And that- it's like, she's, it's totally saying, if you want to know what happened with San, you have to go watch the other series. And that's so cheap. 
but that it was, was so hilarious. That was so intriguing to me. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, there. this is a, a, a dangling thread right here. I forgot that that while she was having these sort of flashes, she went back to that. And I wonder if maybe the Section 31 series will sort of go the disco season one route and like institute some of a, a flashback stuff of like this was Giorgio in, in the, the Terran universe. Uh, but yeah, it, it's I wonder. And Bojan Kim and Erica Lippold did not write all those episodes where Son was featured. So I wonder if they were like, Hey, just so you know, put this thing in because uh, we're going to bring it up later. Or was it vice versa? They're like, oh, crap. What do we do with this song thing? I don't want to put this in our two part episode. Let's just save it for the other series and we'll figure it out later. I assume that there's probably a Bible on Giorgio that contains a whole bunch of background information that they don't give us on the show. That they mm-hmm. just know about it when they're writing the character. I think that's true of most of the main cast. Like they know all this stuff that we aren't privy to. And that San thing's probably in there and it figures large. It's like when you go into like when people when Harry Potter was still okay to be into, mm-hmm. you could go on to Pottermore and J.K. Rowling would write these like long, almost fan fiction-y biographies of each one of the characters, and you'd go and you'd be like, huh. McGonagall was married before and yeah. she fell in love with a muggle. Wow, that's really cool. Oh, that's how they go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Harry Potter's one, Star Trek zero in terms of solving that conundrum. No by the way. kidding. Uh, and but I'm I'm sure that I'm sure the writers know how they go to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, I'm sure Trek. Gene Roddenberry like has like a, a plaque mounted in the offices of CBS being like, just so you know, this is Star Trek's most widely held secret. This is how they go to the bathroom. The first time the first day that you get hired onto a Star Trek series. They take you into a room and they let you read the secret of how they go to the bathroom on Star Trek. And one of these days, like, we'll be talking to David Wright or John Cochran and we're going to get it out of them. Yeah. Do you think in the Mirror Universe they just go on the floor? Like, they just d- leave it where they walk? <laughs> that's probably that's probably the main schism between the regular universe and the mirror universe was that schism was one day somebody decided I'm not going to go in the Star Trek toilets anymore. We don't need to build those. I'm just going to go on the floor. I just beam feel it out like, into space. I feel like the mirror universe has to be so smelly and even past like the scatological aspects mm-hmm. of it. There's so many people being killed at any portion of time that there's got to be like the smell of blood and dead bodies just have to be yep. permeating every corner of that ship. And it's almost impossible to get out. Well, you know how we learned in the first season that people in the mirror universe have light sensitivity that people yes. in the regular universe don't. I think they also have like a smell insensitivity. <laughs> so if you were coming from the prime universe into the mirror universe, you'd be like, God, it smells horrible in here. Maybe but- it's like, uh, they should have known that Lorca was like, you know, when he walked, when he started like having, you know, the really bad goulash that went, you know, ripe in the replicator. And they're like, Oh my God, he's a machine. He's not even blanching at that idea. It's like, well, he's got a strong stomach and a strong nose. Yeah, and you know they had all these little like side meetings. All the senior staff was like, "Do you want to be the one that tell him that he smells and he needs to go take a shower?" Yeah, no, I'm exactly. not going to tell him that. I don't want to get in trouble. No, I mean the only booths that uh, Terrans know about are agonizer booths. They don't know about showers. Yeah, exactly. Like every so often, like maybe that is maybe that is what it is. Maybe the agonizer booth is just a shower. Yeah, maybe like, that's it's, it's, like, it's, it's just like no water. Why they're like they're cat like in that regard. Yeah, I don't want to be clean. Oh my god, because I noticed they are kind of grimy. Like maybe it's just that we're watching it in high def. And mm-hmm. honestly, I watched a lot of Discovery on an iPad this season, mm-hmm. and now I'm watching it on a big TV. But I noticed there's a lot of close-ups, and they're like their skin is bad, and they're like the makeup is caked on there in a way that it's not on yeah, the well, regular ship. 
But to your point, I think that the mirror universe, for some reason, really is into like that face painting more yeah. for whatever reason. Like they feel like, despite the fact you would think it would be the opposite, right? In the more like raw, naturalistic quality of the Terran universe, that they would be less about like paint, giving themselves war paint, essentially. But no, they are adorning themselves with makeup. Yeah, they're really like they put it on with a trowel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just sort of patch it on. So I guess so now that we are on the other side of things, I, I talked about this last week, you know, I guess prognosticate because I, I can't imagine that you watch, you know, both of these episodes back to back. But how do you think it plays? Because I do think the structure is interesting in like the two episodes literally mirror one another in that we start with discovery halfway through go back go into the mirror universe then the second episode spend the first half of the mirror universe and then spend the second half of discovery so it's essentially like a big weird sandwich when you put the two episodes together yeah it is a big weird sandwich and it's almost like it's almost like this is the bread in the big mac Mm, yeah the one piece of bread in the middle yeah and it's it's like i guess i get why it's there but I would structure it differently, to be honest. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, it was such a break, right? Because Discovery always has parallel story structures, with the exception of, like, their finales, when there's only one story to concentrate on. So when we spent time in in that Mirror Universe for the rest of Episode 1 and the first half of Episode 2, it's a little like, okay, where is this going? I think it it drops you in even a, a more surreal place of, why are we doing this? What are we doing here exactly? And the reveal helps fill that in a bit. But I don't know. I mean, my hot take about part two in particular is that I don't know if we had to go back to discovery in the way we did at the end of part two. I I feel like there were a lot of finalities and closing up storylines for Giorgio with discovery in part one. I don't know if I needed the Return of the King-esque, you know, five <laughs> epilogues for Philippa Giorgio on the USS Discovery. Yeah, well, here's a question, Mike. Could we have structured this such that we had one entire episode of Giorgio and her journey and Michael taking her down to the planet and her going through the thing and spending three months in the place and coming back out the other side of the thing? And that's one episode. And then the other episode is, meanwhile... Because we did that with the first two episodes of this season, and it yeah. was fine. It was great. I feel like we could have been totally okay with that, and we wouldn't need to jump back and forth or like jump in and then jump out and back in. That seemed unnecessary to me, and especially calling it a two-parter like this. If we had the whole thing as one cohesive yes. unit, I feel like that plays a little better. But instead, we just sort of cut it off abruptly, go right back into it. And then come right back out of it. And that was a little jarring. So I feel like we either separate the two sets of action. And it doesn't matter if it's not totally equal. Because it's streaming. We don't need it to be a perfect hour. It it could be an hour and then the other one's like 30 minutes. And that's the other thing as well. I, I really like that point. I would have preferred that structure. I think the issue is that. By comparison, the stuff on the ship is such a nothing burger mm-hmm. in these two episodes. Like, yes, we do find out about the, the Kelpian distress signal in part one. And then part two, we start to see a little bit more of Saru being a bit shady and clearly having too much personal investment in the Kelpian of it all, even though he refuses that notion. But there really isn't that much going on in comparison to what's happened else on Discovery. So I feel like if we do pursue that structure, we have to zhuzh up the Discovery storylines a bit. Yeah, which you could. Like give it give Linus a subplot. Yeah. Like have have Linus go through a, go through something like just 
or cut to Linus on the holodeck. Give us give us Linus's day. Like just yeah. have Linus run into a bunch of different stuff aboard Discovery. Yeah, or Linus is heartbroken because he had a fling with Giorgio and now like oh, what is yeah, he gonna do? True. She's ruined him for other women. Yeah, exactly. So now like he has to pursue a bunch of love connections on the ship. But yeah, I I like that approach of dividing up. Or like you said, I do wonder if you know, I don't know what this conversation is between the show and CBS All Access of like, we need 13 weeks. If they had the choice, I would rather them have cut back the finale mm-hmm. by one week. And you could still do Terra Firma parts one and two, but just like put it back to back like yeah. we do with, you know, Survivor or Amazing Race episodes. Sure. Uh, and so that way it can be much more of a cohesive story because the moment we broke in the middle of Terra Firma part one was a little odd. And it wasn't like the beginning of Terra Firma part two really like, uh, repudiated that and more so was just like yeah and then we just keep going with Michael being dragged into the agonizer booth and you know refusing to to supplicate herself yeah it really didn't make a lot of sense and it would would have made more sense to package these as one whole thing in one week it makes way more sense than it does half the time when they do it for amazing race yeah exactly I mean so that being said we we should you know I guess finish up our time in the uh, the Terran universe, even though, you know, I think the like the TLDW of it all <laughs> is that Giorgio tries to break Michael Burnham. She thinks that she's broken. She gets led into a trap. She's forced to kill Michael Burnham, which, again, is, is something that, that we called out as well. Do you have any thoughts about, you know, the way that we finished up the Terran side of things, assumingly forever? Well, I thought it was a pretty short sighted thing that they do in the Terran universe where it's like. Oh, okay. If you're ready to, if you're ready to supplicate and you're ready to be back on Team Giorgio, I want you to go out and find all your co-conspirators and kill them. And yeah, Mike is I, like, "Yep, I'll go do that." And I'm like, "Wait a minute. Why wouldn't she just go kill a whole bunch of randos and then come back? And then there's fewer randos to defend Giorgio, and also she's still got all of her regular guys. And then that turns out to be pretty much exactly what happened." Yeah, so I am also curious about that as well. Is, is cloning technology and the Terran universe just prodigious AF? Because the body count is so high in the mirror universe, I don't understand how they can't have a population problem. Of like, we can kill anyone willy-nilly, and there's no problems with like short staffing, you know, underpopulation. It just seems like you're able to pull people out of nowhere and have them easily fill the spots, just brush that dead body aside and take their spot at the com. Well, you know, they also have a lot of sex. We know that. I guess that's true. And I do not, I cannot imagine protection is of any concern in the Terran universe. That feels like a sign of weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can picture how that, that conversation well, goes. That would have been interesting if there, they somehow added something. In. And look, I do not need to say that, like, let's make the female character pregnant all the time. But <laughs> if, if Mirror Universe Michael was pregnant with Lorca's baby, that would have been an interesting possible rationale for the turn as well yeah that would have been huh yeah i I mean it's very soapy but i like it i like it here's the other thing i wondered like this was the point at which i realized this wasn't really happening like this wasn't a sliding door situation and she didn't get to it also wasn't a thing where she got to go back and do it over again Mm -hmm. the way that i realized this happened was because i thought about what would have happened if Lorca had shown up at this point and mm-hmm. Giorgio had been like, yeah, you hate me. I'm going to kill you. And she just killed him. That pretty much negates, like, if Mira Lorca dies at this point, that negates everything that's happened in Discovery. Like, all of it is just wiped clean. And so it's like, well, this can't be 
this can't be a real do-over because she can't because the implications of doing that really kind of echo and it, it does create a pretty big paradox. I'm still a little miffed that they weren't at least able to get Jason Isaac to do like a green screen on screen cameo. Yeah. You know? Like, like, have that, screw that Duggan guy, have the runabout <laughs> contain Lorca, he exchanges some crass words, you think he's gotten beamed to the brig, but it turns out to be, like, someone in disguise, and then Michael shows that she's betrayed them. Yeah. Yeah, let's see who you really are. Oh my god, it's not Captain Lorca at <laughs> all. Old man Lieutenant Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gotten away with it, too, hadn't been for you scheming kids and your swords. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't know. It just with again all the mentions of Lorca just made me miss his presence. Considering that, like, you brought back Landry, you got old Arium out of the cybernetics. Like, give a ring to Jason Isaac and have him contribute like three lines. Maybe there were extenuating circumstances behind it, but but you know, it felt weird to have him be addressed but not seen. Yeah, it it did. It did feel like. You almost don't even need to mention Lorca that many times if you're not going to bring Lorca. It was like Chekhov's gun. Mm -hmm. Well, so that being said, you know, like I said before, the strongest part of particularly this first part of the episode was the Giorgio arc. Uh, Because, you know, I think in the first part of the episode, it was more like resilience on her part when she lands in the Terran universe of like, I'm not going to make this happen. And her like coming to terms with where she traveled back to. But I do feel like this was more about like her being grounded in who she has become as someone who is merciful, as someone seeking more unorthodox solutions uh, than the Terran universe usually provides. Someone who quotes Les Mis probably accidentally, much like she quoted <laughs> Natasha Benningfield last week. Uh, and, someone who, and someone who, I mean, again, I, I go back to this Fireflies monologue because I do not think the Terran emperor that we met in season one, who Michael Burnham drags back to her, her universe would sit down with Michael Burnham and be like, I promise if you join me, like I will, you know, make you happy again. Like I did when you were a child. Yes. I'll give you a thousand hugs from 10,000 lightning bugs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Owl city who would have thought that she was such a fan, Georgia. Maybe that was one of the pieces of pop culture she indulged with in the prime universe. Well, we already know that there are Natasha Bedingfield fans out there. I think it's not a, it's not a long leap. Yeah, exactly. But, and the interesting thing as well is like, she feels her reaction to Michael's betrayal is also pretty nuanced, too, where, mm-hmm. like, she is disappointed but not surprised. Like, even she admits she's like, I wish I could have trusted you more, too. And it's almost just, like, with much regret that she has to do what she did. But I think to that point, if this was an eventuality for her, this is probably something she had been emotionally reconciling with for the three months that she was there of, like, Yes, Michael may, you know, make make me believe that she's on my side, but I know in the pit of my heart that's not the case. And so I really need to, you know, uh, prepare myself to do this eventual thing. Yeah, it's almost like she knows she knows that's how it ends up because it ended up like that before. But she when she did it, she wasn't ready for it and she had complicated feelings. It's almost like she's just making peace with it. Yeah, which I think is, you know, that's very therapeutic as well and maybe that's another reason why you know when she does come back eventually and and she's like oh well i failed this test clearly because the same thing happened and carl's like but you tried it's a it's you know a weird line on paper but i think that does say something where intentionality i think is very key and there's been a there's always a lot of talk especially with the idea of like predetermined fate or whatever you're about how much is your hand forced 
uh, and how much of the choices you make really affect that. And I, I do think if there's this grand scheme of the powers that be trying to figure out where she's being placed, sorting hat style, the fact that she purposely is making a decision to, uh, you know, stay Michael's execution for three months and trying her best to bring her daughter back into the fold. I, I think that does speak volumes. Yeah. I mean, it just, it was like she, she was being tested so that they could decide if she's ready to move on to the good place or not. Right. Well, cause I, and I think, you know, it, I mean, it was very good place though. Like the whole, uh, whenever you're ready yeah. door to, 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 you know, nowhere was, was very reminiscent of that to me. Uh, but it, it was sort of, you know, you don't fit in with the Terran universe because you're not bloodthirsty. You obviously don't fit in with this universe because uh, you're being like torn apart head to toe. So we'll sort of find like a Goldilocks, write something in the middle for you, quite literally. Right. Or it's even like this test is the Kobayashi Maru. Mm. And the longer you are able to forestall the inevitable, the better you do on the test. I also wonder if, you know, obviously we're going to get uh, a, a very fond farewell between these two or as fond as Philippa Giorgio can be. And I wonder if this experience gave her more appreciation for Prime Universe Michael Burnham where, you know, last week she she spat at her like, you know, you think you're different from your Mirror Universe counterpart. But the only thing is that, like, she's honest about, you know, her duplicity. But I do think that maybe she's looking at, like, the way Mirror Michael is treating her. And she's like, well, you know what? Prime Michael might have her faults, but she doesn't do this stuff the way that my adopted daughter did. Right. And she also, you could see this sort of the two Michaels bleeding into each other in Giorgio's head because... She did very much go into that test with that feeling that they're the same person and they will react the same way to the same things. And she kind of neglected to think about like all of the years of abuse that she subjected the other Michael to that mm -hmm. have changed her into a completely different person. And the whole thing is trying to get her. She's trying to force this other Michael onto Mirror Michael and she spends three months doing that. It doesn't work. And it's kind of also the realization that that isn't a thing that you can do. Yeah, and it's a fantastic mirror uh, back in season one mm -hmm. when or and I guess parts of season two when Michael brings over Prime Giorgio as clearly the substitute that she wants for like her mentor and surrogate mother. And that doesn't work either. It's a square peg in a round hole both times. And so to have like, you know, both parties, there's that really beautiful exchange where Philippa says, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I hope, uh, you know, I hope, you know, I was as filled the place of your Philippa. And she says, you are my Philippa. Uh, I, I think, you know, that that says a lot of how that was someone who meant so much in Giorgio's life to the point where she dragged back her facsimile from another universe. <laughs> but Michael has now come to terms of like, this person's different. But that's okay because we have a completely different relationship and they just weigh the same amounts, just in equal values. Yeah, I, I loved that exchange between the two of them because it was kind of acknowledging that they're done trying to impose the person that they used to know who looks just like this person on them. All right. Well, I want to talk about the Garden of Forever, Jess. But before we do, uh, let's open up a portal and take a bit of a break, hop off somewhere for a little bit and hear from some more of our sponsors. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, okay, Mike. It's interesting that we were... We were gone for the podcast says we were only gone for about a minute and a half there, mm-hmm. but you have three months of bio signs on your little wristband. Oh my goodness. I just thought my Fitbit was acting up. Well, I don't want to tell you, Jess, uh, I spent a long time in a universe where I was podcasting with the exact opposite people about the exact opposite shows. It was hell, but it made me learn a lot about my life and here we are, bowler hat in hand, ready to uh, to move on and talk some more about Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, well, how was that um, recap you did with my Mirror Universe counterpart about the Star Wars holiday special? Yeah, I mean, it was really odd because, uh, I mean, you, uh, first off, you kept talking about your LASIK eye surgery. You're like, I'm never, I never would need to wear a pair of glasses, let alone have many pairs of them. This is absolutely fine. Uh, but then you you, you just went on and on about how much you love Wookiees. You tried to do the entire podcast in Wookiee, and I really tried to just run along. But surprisingly, I don't know, I found my my tongue slowed down a bit in the Mirror Universe. Uh, I tried to make jokes, but I could only say family-friendly things. So it, it really <laughs> felt like almost I was experiencing a Mirror Universe of myself as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, bet my, I bet my Mirror Universe counterpart had a lot to say about the holographic porn. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, yeah, what do you think Rick Astley would do about this? And Mary Universe just said, never heard of him. Uh, so <laughs> that was when that was when I had to jump back. Uh, I, yeah, I get it. I get here, it. Here we are. So, I mean, listen, I'm going to throw all the praise on to Mary Universe Jess, but Prime Universe Jess, kudos to you. You cracked that last episode. You outright referenced the Guardian of Forever, and we got the real McCoy in this episode. Yeah, well, I think... It was really funny how on the nose they made it, though. I thought yeah. they were going to be way more subtle about it, but nope. They're like, look, it's the exact same thing. Like we pulled the prop out of the vault and we had, we played the same recording of his voice because it sounded exactly like the introduction in the original series episode. And I guess it's interesting to me what things the Star Trek universe chooses to give a little bit of a makeover and mm. what things it decides to hang a lampshade on right uh, because this was really i thought they were going to show you like well you know we didn't have the effects back then so we just had to like paint some styrofoam to look like a rock but they used the exact same like styrofoam painted like a rock here and i thought they would have cgi'd that up really much more than they did yeah, well, first, I think you would have gotten a good number of comp- comments about the fandom being like, why did you do that? It was good what it was. But I also think that, you know, this is the series that had to thread that tricky needle, right, of like, how does hollow technology exist in this time, but they don't use it on TOS? And they sort of are just like, oh, oh yeah, Pike doesn't like it. And so he bans <laughs> it on the Enterprise. I feel like they they are trying to get that fan service in but like you said try to bring it in in a new way and it's almost ironically they got something new in combining two 
previous Star Trek elements in the Guardian of Forever and the Temporal Wars Mm -hmm. of, okay, the reason the Guardian is hiding here is because essentially they tried to weaponize him of, wait, I do want to go back into the past and make the Nazis take over the world. And he's like, (laughs) I don't want to do that. I'm going to go into hiding somewhere. Yeah, I, I liked how I I thought he was really shading McCoy when he says, <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't go back and like try to change history and stuff. Yeah. And so it is a bit of like the more objective voice, I think, that was brought to the episode proper. Uh, the first one, like you said, there there's a little bit of subjectivity here, right? Of Like now we know how how they felt about the whole McCoy going back into the 1930s yeah. thing. Yeah, it, I, I feel like the Guardian of Forever was not permitted to have opinions on that back in the day. Do you so. think the Guardian is, because I, be, I can't remember if he was the only one on his planet back in TOS, but do you think he's the last of his species here, no matter what? I think so. And I, I, I really want, now we talked last week about how we want to have a Temporal Wars spinoff, and we want to see what happened with that. I think it would be, it would be a lot of fun to see that then. Like, if there are other Guardians, and what... What happens, like, one side gets a hold of one portal, one side gets a hold of another portal, and it's like the evil leaper. Yeah, exactly. It's this idea of, like, it could be something super dark of one side wants to put a chokehold on the other side by, like, almost like in a Gallifreyan way, destroy Mm -hmm. all of the Guardians except one who's able to get away and just, like, tucks himself away in a planet where no one can find him. He's like he's like Yodaing himself. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to go to the Danis system and, and be able to find Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and I, I also I would love to see like Guardians having like a conference call where one of them's like, Well, I, these guys came in, they don't seem that bad. They seem like they have a lot of good ideas and you know, they were very persuasive. I'm gonna let them have the portal. I think it's gonna be fine, don't worry about it. Everybody's like, No, don't do that. These guys are clearly evil. Don't let them have your portal. I think I'm going to do it. They're cool. I promise. They're cool. And then bad stuff happens. Well, I'm trying to remember, like, what was the criteria that the Guardians used to, like, allow the portal to people? Was it sort of just like a come one, come all? Or was there actual criteria behind it? I don't remember, honestly. I I feel like there really wasn't a lot of policing at the point where TOS went there. Which is surprising because it would be like, this is a portal to any point in time and space. There should be a hell of a lot of policing on it. Yeah, there should at least be a passcode on it. Yeah, or like a like a robot test of like you know identify all the pictures of a car on this six picture <laughs> grid. Yeah, select all of the photos with Klingons. Yeah, exactly. So it's like okay, we know that you at least have like basic you know m- mental functionality, so you're not going to go back and try to screw up things too much. Yeah. So is there is there a point in the temporal wars where a spam bot got a hold of a portal? Oh, that's a good point. If like Smarter Child was able to make its way in there, despite the fact that they tried to to push off malevolent AI with the whole control element, something's got to sneak its way in there in the next 900 years, right? Yeah, that would be really problematic, I think. So what did you make of the choice of Michael to not disclose what happened, essentially like keeping the Guardian secret, right? Like it's only between her and Giorgio, one of whom is in a different universe right now. Well, I think she had to. Like, the Guardian kind of asked her to. Mm-hmm. And she's got to do him a solid because he saved Giorgio's life. And I think Michael, of all people, Michael Burnham would be the one to be like, keep a secret. Certainly, I will definitely do that. No worries. <laughs> Even if it goes against the function of my ship, I am more than happy to strike it on my own and keep a secret. Yeah, I mean, she she's pretty good at that. If if you're going to ask anybody to withhold information from everybody else, Michael Burnham is the one to go to. 
Yeah, and Saru actually seemed like pretty receptive to it too. Maybe it's because again he is now sort of playing his own secret game. But Michael sort of did like the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, she's gone but not gone, and he's just like, "All right, we're gonna say she's DOA. We're gonna say she's dead right now, just to make things easier." Yeah, like, Saru doesn't want to mess with it anymore. I think he's also really tired of it. Yeah, well, he's also he's getting it from all sides, right? Like he has this excitement with the Kelpian stuff, but his boss is now getting on his ass of like, "Are is there? Are you? Did you withhold this from me?" And he's like, "No, I swear to God, I didn't." He also was able to stick up for Book in defiance of his boss, which is very interesting. Something for Saru to do to be like, "Yeah, this guy went off the map and what broke Starfleet protocol," but I'm very happy that he did. <laughs> it, it seems like Saru is becoming a captain right now and realizing much like many good Starfleet captains do in Star Trek that following Starfleet code to the letter is almost never going to work out for you. Yeah. And we talked about that last week too, how Saru is such a by the book guy and every captain we've had a lot of interaction with up to this point goes as far off book as they can go. And ironically, Saru is on book. Yeah. Exactly. And I guess, do you think his book officially on board now? Do you think that was like his one little bar mitzvah to get him, uh, you know, officially oriented onto Discovery? Yeah. Well, I love that he rocks up and he's like, yeah, I read the manual and I've got a thing to help with your other thing. He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger learning how to drive in twins by reading the owner's manual of the car. And then they're like, wait, that wasn't in a manual. He's like, no, I read the other manual, too. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I wonder, uh, is he like a speed reader? I'm trying to figure out what the time was between, you know, everything going on and between them trying to access that that Kelpian ship data. Did he just like completely thumb through everything? Or did he have one of his animal friends give the Cliff's Notes version of the technical manual? Yeah, well, he read it on audiobook at 2x speed. Mm, that's a good call. Yeah. Uh, David Cronenberg reading through the technical manual was done. Maybe it was also an unintentional or an intentional plug for the Star Trek technical manual which i do believe is an actual published book of course it is of course it is mike yeah i do believe the the enterprise technical manual i think is something you can get so if you need a stocking stuffer for that holiday season people that's upcoming know that that is out there but who reads the audiobook of it mike that's a good question i i'd like <laughs> to believe that there is an audiobook of the technical manual yeah it, i i Look, if Tig Notaro reads the technical manual of Starfleet, I'm buying that. Yeah, I agree, which I would say, I hope this means another Jet Reno appearance next episode, because I, I feel like this was an improper use of Reno. It was fun mm-hmm. to have her come in and essentially yell at Stamets and Adira and to have sort of the lampshading moment of like, where have you been? Uh, <laughs> but I, I feel like, you know, I want if I'm if we're using Tig Notaro, I want I want to see a lot of her. I want her to sit back and like help Stamets through his difficulties in episode two. I don't want her in for one scene saying her stuff and then not really being in the rest of the episode. Yeah, it really was unfair. And like half of the episode, half of her appearance in this episode was just people like telling her not to eat candy. Yeah, which is it's an accessory. It's it's barely, you know, food anyway, which I think says more about the quality of the food than like the way she uses it. Yeah, it's it's a good point. But it, it was almost like it was like it was like Kojak's lollipop. She's just going to stand around all the time with the with the black licorice in her hand. I feel like there's better affectations there, but I'm not going to question it because it's Jet Reno and we right. love Jet Reno. So here, so Jet Reno eats blue corn tortilla chips and black licorice. Is there something with like the, her food colors? Do you think? Is she OCD in that regard? You know, it's possible, but I feel like that really like, does she eat blackened tilapia? Yeah. And I then, mean, it might just be like she only eats dark food. Squid ink pasta. Yeah. 
I don't. I mean, I guess when you live in a universe where you can literally get anything you want from a replicator, I suppose you can be picky in that regard. But that is such an interesting diet choice. Maybe you know, maybe two choices do not necessarily make a pattern. But from what I've seen so far, <laughs> she may only want to eat dark food. What if it's just whatever whatever she's wearing has to match what she's eating? Oh, I love that. I like she said it's an accessory, right? So yeah, like you much exactly. like you sometimes need to get your handbag to match your outfit. She wants she wants to make her uniform match whatever she's eating. Yeah, so if she wants pizza, she's just got to go like put on a red and yellow t-shirt and then she can have pizza. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of that, I, I want to say and again this speaks towards my my point earlier, maybe we didn't need the epilogue on the discovery. I'll be candid. I think the last scene of the episode was unearned. Uh, I don't think we needed or logically should have had the everyone go around and say something nice about Giorgio because the characterization of Giorgio, she has had rarely any storylines or major scenes with any of these people. Mm -hmm. It felt really odd to have these people talking about her in that regard. I honestly would have been completely fine if we had just stuck with last episode Saru and Tilly sending her off because those are two characters that she did have very interesting relationships with Saru in particular and that speaks volumes I don't think we need people going around like maybe Colbert was fine he had a bit of a relationship with her but like I don't necessarily need to know nor do I really know how Detmer feels about her how as much as we love Jet Reno how Jet Reno feels about her it, it felt as much as we were trying to memorialize the character and really send her off properly it just felt odd to canonically have these characters talk about her when they barely have interacted with her at all. Yeah, I feel like half of those half of those testimonials would have been like, well, I bumped into her the wrong way in the hall and she called me a name that I sobbed about for two weeks. She was really devastating with her insults. Yeah, and that's the thing as well. I guess, you know, maybe the thing that we're, we know about Starfleet is that these people are like unendingly nice and polite and give people the benefit of the doubt. But I don't know, maybe it's because we've sort of ran out of Fs to give in 2020. But I feel like if like an a-hole and or objectively bad person dies, you could certainly say nice things about them. But don't don't you don't need to go be like, well, she had no tact and I really like that about her. You could pull Michael Burnham and be like she was a pain in the ass. You know, you mm-hmm. could be like it's sad to lose her, but she was difficult at times. I, I feel like we don't need to necessarily lavish praise on someone if it's unearned because Giorgio was an asshole. Yeah, a good portion was. of the time on Discovery. Yeah, it's like I was sitting in the mess hall one day and she came up and said, this is my seat. And then she kicked me in the head and took my chair. I really appreciated that she was very good at kicking people in the head. Yeah, Giorgio <laughs> wore butterfly clips in her hair. And so I had to wear butterfly clips in her hair. Like it felt very <laughs> Regina George, right? Like idol worship. It did. It really did. It was like maybe it was like what if she actually had gotten hit by the bus and died? Yeah, exactly. Or the bus sends her to another universe. <laughs> yes. Boy, I love that. So, that's so, yeah, that's I mean, wonderful. So I can I understand from the sentimentality perspective how it was like, okay, this was a way to really like very solemnly yet yet pointedly have the entire crew raise a glass to her. But honestly, I think all we needed was Michael and Giorgio saying goodbye, because that's what the relationship was all about. And I do think the way it was written to your point before, and especially the way it was performed, was extremely well done. That this felt like a, an, an unnecessary appendix, in my opinion. Yeah, it was like they were padding the episode out, like we talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. Although there was a lot of 
there are a lot of really fun nods to things I don't know that uh that we would have needed to have this episode that I was happy we got them. I liked Admiral Fridge getting mad at Saru and Book for installing an Internet Explorer toolbar on Discovery. Yeah, being um, like, uh, listen, bro, did you download the virus blocker before you did that by chance, putting enemy technology onto our ship? Yeah, and they're like, yeah, we used Kaspersky security manual. They're like, no, damn it. Oh, that's so outdated, man. Oh, you know, that, that had security flaws that they just, they haven't patched yet. It's been, it's been a thousand years and nobody's managed to patch it yet. Well, to that point, I mean, we do have this indication that we know Osira will be back in some form in this season. Do you think that this might be like a seed being planted that integrating the Emerald Chain technology might have like, I don't know, put a tracker, tracker chip on Discovery so now Osira can find them easier? I mean, it could be, but it seems like Book was like, well, I had it on my ship for for years and nobody had a problem with it. So I think Book has vetted it pretty thoroughly, but I do think that I do think they might their flaw might be in trusting that Book knows how to deal with Osira a little bit better than he actually does. And I think there might be a point where he brings them information that is not accurate and falls into a trap in that way. Yeah, I, I think that maybe it's a thing of he knows how to run from Osira, but I think Discovery mm-hmm. can't really run. I think they have to confront her sooner rather than later. And I think also Book and now has become more appealing to Osira because of the whole Rin deal. But Discovery is much more of the golden goose, right? Osira is much mm-hmm. more fervently seeking out Discovery now that she knows, like, hey, there's this Federation ship with a spore drive. I'm running out of dilithium. This is incredible. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't feel good about this, even though I'm happy that book's being included. He may have just, you know, screwed over the ship in the process. Yeah, because could it just be that, like, Osira doesn't chase down Book because she doesn't care, and he thinks that means he's outrunning her? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I'm so good. I'm escaping. And she's like, who are you again? (laughs) Yeah, and I wanted to talk a little bit more. I feel like we spent a lot of time with Kelpians this Mm -hmm. episode in ways that have to pay off later. Um, I liked the revisit to Vaharai. I liked... I liked Saru in full Vaharai mode defending the oh my honor God. of the Saru Emperor with throwing Culber into the ceiling. Saru with like a Gatling phaser is an image I never thought I would have. Because like you said, like he does the Hulk strength stuff, but him like going yeah. all Rambo on the people was <laughs> just a bonkers image. Yeah, it was bonkers. And then it kind of mirrors Saru in the Prime Universe trying to connect with his people again. Mm. And the way in which he is holding information back from Admiral Fridge because he is he's getting more and more invested in the idea that this was a Kelpian vessel and these are his people and he has to do something for these people. Mm. Yeah, I, something that I noticed last week that I forgot to talk about. So Dr. Isa, who is the Kelpian who sent out the distress mm-hmm. signal She's actually played by the same actress who played Saru's sister oh, in season two. And that so, makes more sense, too. Yeah, and so I, I feel mean, like is, that's, is, that's that, a, is it racist that I think all Kelpians look alike? I mean, they have a very similar structure to the point where when we saw that first Kelpian last week who like got sentenced to death by spilling mm-hmm. something on Landry, I'm like, oh, is that Saru? And I feel bad <laughs> saying it, too. I think just like for like the very preternaturally tall uh, mm-hmm. Kelpian, and that's got to be Doug Jones, a.k.a. Saru. But I think that makes it even more meaningful why he's so obstinate about like sticking with this Kelpian vessel, because 
if it if she literally has the voice of his sister, mm-hmm. then I think that gives him a personal investment. Who knows? She may be the descendant of his sister. Maybe that's why she's played by the same actress. Ooh, they're related. But I could totally see him like confiding that in somebody like Tilly and saying, well, she looks and sounds a lot like my sister. And Tilly's like, oh, does she? I hadn't really noticed that. Well, and, and, and so like, that's racist. And so that's going back to actually just what we spoke about with Michael and Georgia with regarding each other's mirror selves, right? It's like when yeah. you throw mm-hmm. your personal investment into somebody who is a completely different person, it can sort of cloud your judgment. And I think that's what we're seeing with Saru here. Yeah, he definitely. And that's kind of the whole, that's kind of been the whole theme of the last two episodes have been like trying to project your feelings onto someone else who resembles the person that you are dealing with the actual feelings for. And so to your point about Kelpians in the mirror universe, yeah, there's a lot of focus on them because I think this, that's sort of like the representation of Giorgio's perceived weakness, considering that they were literally eaten by her and the Terrans <laughs> yeah. in the mirror universe. And now she is like coaching one through like, hey, just so you know, Vahara is a hoax. You don't have to die. And in fact, you know, her last words dying in that Terran universe is you pass through it. She's like dying, being cradled in uh, Saru's arms, Marius and Eponine style. Um, so even though I think the it's interesting that while obviously the Giorgio Michael relationship gets the forefront of the focus here, there's still is some Giorgio Saru stuff as well. The care with which she shows Saru is almost like revealing how she truly feels about him when she never really gave him much time in the prime universe, except for that final comment of like, hey, you're a you're a good captain. That's why I'm regarding you as captain. Yeah, that even and it's interesting that even that small exposure to the humanity of the kelpian species is enough to have her questioning their treatment in her world i think that is also kind of 2020 ish um i like that they have the little inside joke where she tells michael we've stopped serving kelpian they're really bad for you their flesh is too stringy isn't that right saru and saru's like yeah we taste terrible it's it yeah (laughs) Yeah, I love that too. That like I, she you know, she knows that Saru can sort of go along with something, and so he's like, "Yeah, listen, if it means that I don't get eaten anytime soon, I will say whatever I need to. I'll say that that we poison you when you eat us." Yeah, yeah. If we're in a bad mood when you butcher us, you, you're gonna you're gonna regret it. Yeah, exactly. we're like the fugu of the of the 31st century and you know how fearful we can get so look we're gonna stink up our meat every single time you kill us (laughs) yeah yeah and uh the question i have is that michael says that she really liked eating the ganglia Mm -hmm. and if you go through vaharai you lose your ganglia so after you go through vaharai is that sort of like being afraid when you die like does that taint the meat yeah well i wonder because yeah like you said vaharai is where the ganglia fall off and you get those spikes I wonder if the ganglia were the only part of the Kelpians that they ate. So it's almost like they said, oh, your ganglia fell off. Great. We don't need you anymore. And then just <laughs> slaughters the Kelpian. Yeah. Like, is, is that really the only part they eat? I don't know. Because, like, I mean, it's, it's, they're very much skin and bones. I can't mm-hmm. imagine. They're, they're probably extremely stringy to eat their bodies. Could you make stock out of a Kelpian, though? Oh, that's a good call. If you could, like, turn it into a nice stew, throw some vegetables in. But I feel mm-hmm. like... Terrans are more so literal meat and potatoes people that they wouldn't necessarily like have the wherewithal to concentrate on stew to put something in a crock pot. 
I don't know. I, I feel like maybe kelp van is the way to go with an old <laughs> stringy kelpian. Yeah, it's just interesting that it'd be incredibly wasteful on the, on their, your part to use like one body part that is uh, vestigial anyway. But that also sounds very Terran universe of like, look, it gives me the opportunity to slaughter something. I, I might as well take that opportunity. Yeah, it's true. Like in the Terran vernacular, every rejoinder you have with somebody is like a new way to describe killing them. And it's like, <laughs> hey. Good morning. Uh, could you maybe pick up that, that mess that you left on the floor? I will reach into your nostril yeah. and pull your spleen out your eye socket. Okay, cool. Which is interesting because, you, yeah, you would think that that would make everyone non-confrontational by proxy because you don't want to get in a fight and lose your life. But it's the opposite because Terrans mm-hmm. love to die in that regard. Like, they'd be like, sure, I'd love to get in a, a fender bender with somebody and die because that's the honorable way of doing so instead of being a coward and driving all the way home on the right lane without saying anything. Yeah, you know, terra firma is a bad motto for them. They should have their motto be, come at me, bro. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think that's the the way that the, at least, you know, maybe if the mirror universe existed in 2020, I think that's their motto. That's what, like, those people went on to found their own intergalactic society. And that's what the mirror universe is now. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they they took the attitude of I'm I'm sorry you feel that way and turned it into an entire <laughs> empire. <laughs> what what is Latin for I'm sorry you feel that way? That should be their motto. <laughs> exactly. And then they like found some Klingons that felt the same way, some Andorians. I did find it interesting and granted this this was all off screen, but this idea of like the Klingons and the Andorians and the Romulans are turning against you. I guess there was so much happening that they didn't need to show it, but that seems like I don't know, some surprising politics. Got thrown in there. Again, I, I think we compared this uh, to Cersei Lannister last week. I think we got a little bit of shades of it here as well of like your allies are turning on you. Yeah, it and it was interesting that they just throw that little bit, bit of color in there because I don't know that anybody was asking for it. Mm-hmm. But it does kind of round out the universe in a way that like we're aware that there's stuff going on beyond this ship. And it's not the center of the universe. Right. Because I remember there was an episode in the Mirror Universe, right, where like uh, Ash Tyler and Michael went down to like one of those refugee settlements and like got into it, I think, with like there were Klingons and there were like all these like populations of people mixing together. So I think I guess we already saw it. So maybe we didn't need to to Mm -hmm. see it once more. But I thought it was an interesting you know, uh, an interesting little wrinkle in there, especially when Georgia was at least portraying to Michael that she like listened to her advice, which is like, oh, by the way, I I stopped the uprising just through like a couple of quick things. Yeah. And sometimes that also feels like the writers are saying, you might have thought that we are not adhering to canon because we didn't mention this other episode that took place here. We just want to throw in a line to let you know that we know what happened in that episode. So let me throw something out here, Jess. Speaking of season one, is this us being done with the Mirror Universe and Star Trek Discovery? I would assume so, at least for as long as we are in this timeline, because they said it's really important basically impossible to get to the mirror universe anymore because they've drifted so far apart. And I don't know what other business we have in the mirror universe. Like half the ship is dead in the mirror universe. And the other half is like, we saw what they're like, we saw what they do. And it doesn't really, I don't see any more repercussions. Like what are the new stories we could do with that? We had somebody secretly be from the mirror universe. We pulled somebody over from the mirror universe into here. That's more time that we've spent doing that stuff than we did in like every other series combined. Mm, I agree. And I think 
I mean, I think it's unnecessary. You could even make the argument that these two episodes were unnecessary. I think that's sort of been some of the reaction too. is why exactly are we doing this? And I think given that response, I think maybe it has, if they were even contemplating going to back to the mirror universe again, that might've pushed them away too. of like, yeah, you know what? People are, are into us being in the 32nd century. We're fine staying there. We don't have to go back to where we were before. Granted, again, I think this had a larger purpose than Star Trek Discovery proper. But, you know, I I was personally fine with leaving stuff in the Mirror Universe in Season 1. If Season 3 is supposed to be the soft reboot that I think it's really been fleshed out to be, we don't need to necessarily keep going back to previous plot points or previous characters. Like, for example, uh, I have no idea if Ash Tyler is ever going to appear on the series again. Yeah, I... I doubt we see him again. There's no reason. And I think the show has actually been pretty good for the most part about saying this is a thing that already happened. We don't need to reference it again. And if we do, we'll just make another series to be about it. That's very true as well. And also the institution of short treks, too, can be like, hey, if you're missing Ash mm-hmm. Tyler and Laurel, we can do like a Klingon short trek. Because I mean, even <laughs> it, like I think that Star Trek Discovery more than any one of these series is fine with like making someone a main cast member for a season or a half season or with commander non like an episode and then getting rid of them on the show. So it's not like, you know, the other star Trek series of your, where it's like, okay, we have to keep the crew together. Mostly, you know, maybe you have your Pulaski like things, but you have to keep the core group together for the entire run of the show. It's like, all right, yeah, we're, we're going to, you know, buy Ash Tyler, buy Laurel, uh, obviously, by Lorca, by Pike, by Spock, you had your time in the sun, but we're we're fine never seeing you again. And I'm going to go ahead and argue that that is that is kind of a ripple effect coming from your beloved Lost, mm. because Lost was one of those shows where they had a core group in the first season. And then, like, gradually over time, people left the show, got killed off, new people came on, those people got killed off. And by the end, your primary characters were not, for the most part, the same people that you saw back in season one. Yeah, and I'm fine with that because I'd rather have that and have the chance for, like, more clipped, complete story arcs Mm -hmm. and feel like we have to keep Stamets on the show, but we don't know what to do with him. I guess we'll just create, like, really wild crap for him. I'd rather have, you know, more succinct, like, you know, Ash Tyler is a perfect example of this. In my opinion, Ash Tyler was one of the most interesting parts of season one. They had no idea what to do with him in season two whatsoever. So the solution is super simple. Get him off the show. If you, if you don't know how to write for him, you don't need him. In my opinion, I think that especially in TV today, to your point, you're not consigned to like having to keep this group of characters in if the plot doesn't call for it. Right. And also, it leaves you with a huge knot to untangle if you are at the point where you're going to wind down the series, because then you have to create closure at the exact same moment for every single person in your cast. And that is its own problem. Speaking of closure, Jess, I cannot believe this. Three episodes left of Star Trek. And I think it's maybe also because the the oddness and spectacle of this two-part episode and it's like now what it's like well we only have three weeks left of this yeah and like how are they gonna wrap that all up there's no way yeah i don't know it seems like next week we are getting more into the burn was like we're actually going to the verubin nebula to check things out finally after a brief detour to danis five so i think 
things are going to speed up mega quick. I think this was a, a temporary pit stop, but now we are promptly speeding breakneck pace to this finale. I think we'll find out what the cause of the burn is. Chances are we're going to run into Osira again. Maybe another big, you know, uh, twist is going to happen. But I think the next three episodes are going to be pretty ridiculous in the best way possible. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine how we pull Osira back in, explain the burn, resolve it, and save the universe again in three episodes. That seems nuts to me because I think if we if we did put odds on it before, like knowing the way that the show is paced, it felt like as soon as they mentioned the burn, you'd have to resolve the burn three episodes later. And they haven't done that. Yeah, they've been, I think, surprisingly, there have been more slow playing than they have in previous seasons, where, like you said, they'll sort of burn through the first mystery in like the first six episodes and they'll get <laughs> to another one. They've been playing their hands a little bit. And I think it helps when you have episodes like this where you can sort of distract yourself. But I don't know. I still feel like it's Star Trek Discovery at the end of the day. I feel like Star Trek Discovery is going to Star Trek Discovery and just like <laughs> throw out everything in these last three weeks here. Like, what if the first 30 seconds of the next episode, Mike, is, hey, we figured out what the burn is. It's this thing. And oh, look, Saru found some Kelpians and he's going to hang out with them. And all right, here's Osira. She's dead. Next. Yeah. I mean, I, I like hand to hand to God. I think that could very easily happen next week of like in the first two minutes, they're like, great, we're going here. Oh, this is the cause of the burn. And then the next, the, you know, the rest of the episode is like, I don't know, figuring out how to find, like communicate this cause of the burn. They could really rush to this. I will not say anything about, you know, I think the, the preview of the next episode is bonkers AF. I don't want to even speculate about what's going on, nor do I want to reveal the details of that, uh, of that preview because they are just like too weirdly delicious to even dig into. But I think, we're going to have a lot of fun next week here rounding the corner. Yeah. And speaking of rounding the corner, Mike, I think we're rounding the corner on this particular podcast. Is there anything else we need to touch on before we get into wrapping things up? The only other thing is, uh, so the Ready Room had an interview with Michelle Yeoh, which I only point out because I feel like, at least from what I have seen of Star Trek press, Michelle Yeoh has been so reclusive. I have, I don't think, ever seen an interview with her. For Star Trek Discovery, she's never been, you know, when I was at Comic-Con a couple times for Star Trek Discovery, she was never there. Uh, when I was at the premiere for season two, she was not there. So to have her give an interview and especially be so positive and excited about Star Trek, it's cool because Michelle Yeoh is an awesome person. And to see her regard Will Wheaton and be like, oh, I always wanted to be Wesley Crusher. <laughs> like, it was cool to see her nerd out. So I encourage if people want to check it out, it was a great interview between Will Wheaton and uh, Michelle Yeoh on the Ready Room this week. Yeah, I'll be excited to see that too, Mike. Yeah. So it's, what, it's what else is what else is going on with you? Well, so speaking of, you know, sending things off, Jess, uh, you and I have already rounded the corner and bid a fond farewell, raised our glasses to The Amazing Race 32. We had an immediate reactions in our uh, finale recap, but you and I are getting together very soon with Rob Cicernino and some special guests dropping in from maybe another universe to do our final Tar Pit wrap-up show for The Amazing Race 32. Uh, outside of that, I also got together with Rob Cesarino, with, which, speaking of goodbyes, uh, we talked about some of Survivor's most iconic voting confessionals, which was a lot of fun. And then over here on Post Show Recaps, uh, Josh Regler and I are, of course, going down the hatch. We spent a good portion of time this past week talking the man behind the curtain, Benjamin Linus, probably the closest thing to a member of the Terran universe within Lost, uh, considering all the heinous things that he does. 
one of my favorite episodes of Lost Period. I was so happy to revisit it and extra happy to revisit it alongside Josh as we talk through all things Jacob, the man in black and beyond. So be sure to check that out. We're actually going to be, I think, finishing up season three alongside Star Trek Discovery season three. That's that's kind of amazing how that all comes together, Mike. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people are telling the ship Discovery we have to go back. But I think, you know, uh, unlike those people, we're, they're not going to. They're going to keep charging forward. Maybe we'll get some flash forwards in Disco as well. I mean, you kind of this week on Lost, you kind of found out the source of that burn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's sort of like uh, how that monster got made in a manner of speaking. So, yeah, we found the source of the the Ben that is other thing. <laughs> the the Ben instead of the burn. I like it. And you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, and where there's a burn, there's black smoke monsters. Uh, no, it is the man behind the burn tin. That's what it oh, is. Oh man, that that's awful. I they kind of hate that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what have what have you got going on, Jess? Um, I think you've kind of summed up everything I've got going on. Um, I also wanted to invite everybody to check out Post Show Recaps proper, where we are covering all kinds of great things. Uh, we have recaps of uh, our Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch called Ang In There. We have Everything is Spider-Man, which formerly was called Everything is Super, and that is uh, Josh Wiggler and Kevin Mahadeo are diving into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all Marvel Cinematic Properties. We just wrapped up The Mandalorian, mm -hmm. which has been a tremendous season, and that's very exciting. And we also want to make sure that you know that if you become a patron of Post Show Recaps, you will get access to a whole other bunch of content. There's at least three episodes a week of other podcasts that you can enjoy when you are a patron. That includes um, part of our initiative to get Josh Wiggler to watch all of Community. That's called Community Building, and that's very fun. We also have Post Show Recaps Theater, in which Josh Wiggler and special guests watch a movie chosen by you, the patrons, every week. And then Watching with Wiggler, in which our esteemed leader, Josh Wiggler, talks about whatever he's up to. You also get a newsletter sent by yours truly. At yeah. $10 level and above, you get access to a Discord server where you can connect with other patrons. And at the $15 level, you get a piece of post-show recap swag every three months. And I think we are just wrapping up month three, so the swag will be coming your way very, very soon if you're at that level. Yeah, so there is so many reasons where if you have the, the ability to do so. And you know what? The holiday season's around. Maybe you can gift a patronage to somebody, too. I believe that's a thing. I'm not sure. We might have to check back in on that. But yeah, if you are a patron, have have some fun with us. We are having a lot of fun in the Discord talking about all things Disco, Star Wars, especially these past few days, and basically anything to do with television, movies, and much, much more. So join the throng. We are not nearly as stabby as the Terran Empire. Yeah, we are. We are a fully prime universe. We do have we do have a couple of channels that are just for posting gifts, but I think that's about as evil as we get. Yeah, and that depends also on your feeling about gifts. Yeah, it's true. I, I personally, I love them, um, but you know, in the in the mirror universe, they pronounce it GIF anyway. Oh, that's what it is. That's how you can tell, right? You're like, mm -hmm. oh, you pronounce it this way. It's sort of like in the uh, the Inglorious Bastards, right? Like the three versus the three. The way you hold up your fingers determines what nationality you are. That's the the inflection point. Yep, that's the tell. So, you know, just pronounce it GIF if you go in the Discord and nobody will know that you are from the Mirror Universe because we welcome your Latinum if you're coming in from the Mirror Universe as well. We're not picky. Yeah, listen, we need the Latinum. We definitely, you know, Latinum, Latinum bills, y'all. Um, <laughs> Latinum, Latinum bars, yo. Oh, yeah, bars. I don't want the slips. I want the bars. No, give me those straight up bars. Yeah, at the bar level, 
is how you get the kosher recap swag. <laughs> there we go. Man, I I don't know why we didn't think of that when we were setting it up. It's pretty great. We still um, got time. We can make it happen. Yeah, I suppose we can always come up with new levels. There's you know levels within levels. So that about wraps things up for us. Mike, I want to thank you once again for a terrific dive into the mirror universe over these past two weeks and for sticking with me through all this madness. Um, if you all out there want to give us some feedback on how we're doing with our recap, um, you can leave us a review in the iTunes store. That helps us a lot and helps other people find the podcast. Um, or you can hit us up on Twitter. You can reach me at Haymaker Hattie. You can reach me at a Mike Bloom type. You can reach us in general at post show recaps as well. And let us know your thoughts about all this stuff, especially as we are going down the barrel of these last few weeks. What do you think is going to happen? What are your thoughts about this upcoming Section 31 series? There's a lot going on in the Trek universe, and we want to hear from you guys. Yeah, we definitely, you know, we have a lot of opinions, but we need yours as well. Because, you know, we live together, we die alone. <laughs> exactly. That's a different show. All right. that I think that's that's it for us. So live long and prosper, everyone. And we'll see you next week. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.